Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What's up, everybody? Okay, real quick, uh, before we get to the intro, uh, we had a little bit of a, an audio issue there uh, when we were recording. Uh, that's what you get when you have hosts that are not professional, uh, you know, audio makers. <laughs> so bear with us through the intro. The The meat and potatoes uh, of the show is a good part, and that's all that all works. So um, thanks, guys. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast today. Paul and Andrew, we're, we are live together. That's uh, what, one of the oh, unofficial studios. Um, so we are going to record this intro, and we're going to slap quick intro. We're slapping it on the front end of what's going to be one of the longer episodes, but the episode is going to cover everything that we recorded at muster in the marsh last weekend. And it's, it's some great conversation. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. So muster in the marsh, you've heard us talk about that. The, uh, big annual rendezvous party, fundraising event, camping, just blast with, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers. What a great time. It was great to meet a bunch of the listeners that were there. Matt, it was great to meet that guy sat with us at the conservation dinner uh, just see, that was great. Renee uh, and her husband, Matt. It was really, really cool to meet them. So uh, we met just a ton of people. Had a great time. Ryan Callahan from Media was there. Kevin, Kevin Murphy. Kevin Murphy and his dog, Wings. Wings and Things. Things. Uh, yeah, so, the, so we did the live podcast, what, Saturday morning when it was a billion degrees. It went uh, from comfortable to the surface of the sun in about 10 minutes oh it was crazy we were just we were getting beat down but it all worked out it was it was a fantastic talk um there was some q a that we did with uh with a bunch of the folks there so that was that was really neat director mertz uh we had we had director mary mertz director of the ohio department of natural resources was our first guest cal hopped in uh for, for that she is fantastic uh she really did a nice job explaining um you know a lot of the programs and and, and that are going on happen happen happening uh through the odnr and then just a relationship between the, the agency and, and 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 us the hunters and anglers and uh, outdoor recreators so yeah it was really good so and uh you know a few notes that i i picked up i, I tend to observe a lot right and I'll tell you right now, Ryan Callahan, uh, we've all seen him on the Meat Eater episodes. He does his podcast, Dudes Everywhere, Salt of the Earth, super, super down to earth, talking to everybody, walking around, wasn't hiding, nothing like that, man. He was just like, you know, you want to talk to him about something? And he was just amazing. Yeah. Same with Kevin Murphy. Um, shout out. Who, yeah. Shout out to Henry and all the BHA board members, Tony Ruffing and all those guys. Jameson, yeah, yeah. What a, what a great event. We had John Fabian from Cover Bridge Outfitters on the podcast. Um, that dude is a freaking rock star. That guy was a ton of fun hanging out with. That is, 
That is a awesome place. It, if you need a like a fishing guide, dude, Coverbridge Outfitters is that is like it doesn't look like anything in Ohio, like that little stretch that you would imagine. I, I you know, if you're from that that northeast corner of Ohio, you're like, oh, it looks like that everywhere. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. Conneaut Creek was beautiful. The fishing was insane. Yeah, it was cool. It was, it was a great place. And a lot of opportunities there. We'll get John on at some point to talk about what he's got going there. But in general, like you're right on that Pennsylvania line. So you've got just, there's a lot of opportunities. Anywho, yeah. Paul, I got to just say this. All right. So this was my, one of my first BHA events. Yeah. And I've told people ask me how it was. Well, it was cool. You know, we tent camp, they had music, food trucks, lots of education, all that kind of stuff. It was, I don't, I don't, I do not read the news, pay attention to the news anymore. I, it's gotten too divisive and I don't like what it does to people. That group of people there was amazing to me because it was all walks of, of life. You had old, young, educated, average Joes, you know, um, people that were foragers, hikers, you know, anybody who enjoyed hunters, big gun people, probably people who don't really care for guns. Like all this stuff come together for one purpose and to support public land, public land access, conservation, all that kind of stuff. Hunting rights. Yeah. And, and everybody was, it was like perfect. There was none of this, you know, this, I don't want to call it made up, but that, you know, what the media feeds of, you know, that it's their side versus this side. It was like just this great collaboration. And I was, it was so refreshing, so refreshing. Yeah, it was, it was neat. That's a special organization. Uh, that was a special group of people. So it was cool. It was cool to be, to be there. I'm glad that, uh, that they allowed us to come down and hang out. And we both won some stuff at the auction. What'd you win? It's a gift gift card to Saint Saint Croix, so maybe I'll buy that fly line or fly fly rod that I've been thinking about for a couple of years. I won a, do- a sport dog packet. How, I don't have how many dog. dogs you got, Paul? Yeah, I don't have a dog. And if you listen to the show, you know that I don't have a dog. And as I'm walking up, someone was like, "You don't have a dog?" I'm like, oh, "I busted." My buddy Justin got a dog. I'm like, "Yeah, he might use this." I threw one, maybe two tickets in that sport dog package. I don't remember putting the ticket in the Saint Croix one. So. Really? But no, they had great raffle uh, items, auction items, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, raised a ton of money. So it sounds like next year's event's going to be in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, and I'm going to try to put it on my calendar as soon as we can. So yeah, a lot of fun. Check them out. Backcountryhunter.org. Uh, so one other person we met we didn't mention before was Justin Greer from Blackgate Hunting. We've met him down at ATA, gotten to know him. Uh, and, and we just recently were, you know, brought brought Blackgate on. They, you know, they're they're a part of the O2 family now. And you've got those cameras out. You're getting pictures in, buddy. Man, those things they're about crystal clear. Holy cow! I've used, I feel like every brand under the sun. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell, I'm not saying this because they're partner of the show. That's the best image quality I've ever seen. And then I can get the videos sent over to me. It's super easy to set up and use, like. If you have not checked out these cameras, it's BlackgateHunting.com. BlackgateHunting.com. Then you can also just check them out on uh, Instagram. They've got a pretty neat, uh, robust social media presence. And you sent me a you sent me a picture like a side by side of of like two other trail cam companies. Dude, it was it was legit. Yeah, their their quality is no joke. You can see the velvet on (laughs) on the antlers and stuff like that. I think we've got a code for Blackgate. It's O2 Podcast. Save you 10%. If it's not active yet, it will be. Um, but those guys, are. we're going to get them on here soon to talk about their cameras. Ohio-based company. Talk um, about cameras and just camera, camera strategy. 
dude. Yeah. We were supposed to record that last night, but man, it was the weather was freaking crazy around here. Did your power go out? Oh yeah, I kept flickering and shut everything off. Yeah. It was miserable. So uh, our friends down at Kentucky Go Wild, time to go wild.com, download the app. Android, Apple, use the internet. You can find us on there, O2 Podcast. You sign up, you get 10% or 10 bucks. 10 bucks towards your first order. Uh, dude, I think that they might be like, they probably have more SKUs, I feel like, than like Bass Pro Shop. It's crazy everything that they have that they have available. So I actually just ordered. So after the BHA event, we sat through the the trapping seminar and uh i might have ordered some trap trapping stuff paul yeah, let's do it let's get after it so yeah find us on there o2 podcast and find me if you so choose paul campbell uh great community to learn to hunt to become better talk about strategy talk about the the, the gear talk that's going on right now like the bow setup talk that's going on right now the community is, is really neat so check them out go wild thanks for friends at first light man they just dropped what is it, the cash Cash, cache. Cash. And we're just gonna say cash. It's it's a, a an area down in Mississippi, I believe, that floods and they call it cash. Um, timber camo timber, pattern. Timber camo pattern. It's it's primarily geared towards waterfowl hunters right now. It is. Oh man, uh, that is that is a turkey killing pattern right there. If I've ever seen it. That's what first thing Paul says. Like, oh, that's turkeyish. Oh yeah, now they're for sure gonna come out with some turkeys. Yeah, so. we'll get Greg on to talk about that. Yeah, good for them so so check them out firstlight.com uh midwest gunworks midwestgunworks.com if you are getting your rifle set up to shoot coyotes maybe getting your hunting gun set up to shoot uh, yeah, your, the deers the deers the luthers here uh in the great state of ohio and beyond check them out ohio outdoors five save yourself on five percent on all orders you've heard me talk about it that parts finder is legit that thing will get you through um quite a bit they also have a silencer shop on there andrew uh if you are into that if you want to start that process you've gone down that road so we'll talk about that at some point how that how that whole thing works out if you're interested in a silencer for a hunting application that was uh that was pretty neat but they've got all sorts of stuff on there for the gun enthusiast for the firearms hunter uh here in the city and beyond and we can't forget our friends half rack half dash rack Ohio Outdoors 15. Save yourself 15%. They got all kinds of stuff for out in the woods. Little things that you might need. Oh, so Freedom hangers? Oh, damn. As you guys are getting your stands and stuff set for the season, check out their stuff. See if there's anything on there that you might need to get prepared, whether it's some bow hanging hooks or um, you know, so, you know, the, ropes. The hunter hangers that, that they've got, they've got the Freedom line out. They've got a whole bunch of other stuff. When we got those, I'm like, meh, these are cool. Like, I'm like, I need like a hundred. Yeah. I used the first one. I'm like, oh, damn, this is what this is? Right. I mean, it was just out of control. I, 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 I can't believe like how useful those things are. The other day I was out there and I needed something to hang something. And I'm like, oh, you idiot. You've got hunter hangers. Like, Dude, duh. No brainer. Yeah, they are legit. Those things are super useful. So uh, thanks to our friends uh, at xvisionoptics.com. Those guys are pretty cool. Uh Monoculars, binoculars, rangefinders, red dot sights, thermal scopes, night vision scopes. Man, these guys got it all. If you're looking for optics for your rifle, for your hunting applications, um, they are uh, the place to go, xvisionoptics.com. Um, we don't have a code for them yet. We're going to try to work on that, get you guys set up. Uh, but, yeah, pretty pretty neat stuff. What, what is that thing right there? The thermal reflex hand. Okay, you get the little, little handheld. 
thermal unit if you're out scouting for coyotes or pigs or something like that. So, so check them out, xvisionoptics.com. I think those pay the bills, Paul. Uh, let's see. I don't know how much news I have room around the state, but the one thing I would say is we are still in the month of July. If you haven't signed up for controlled hunt lotteries, you can still do that. Um, actually I did see a new regulation book did pop up in the app the other day. I don't want to cover that yet. Okay. I want to digest it myself, uh, look at the changes and then get Tonk or somebody on. I have some folks on about rules, uh, in the state of Ohio. And we'll talk about. All that kind of stuff. So uh, just be aware. Excuse me. Be aware that the new um, regulation book is out. So let's see real quick if there's anything else. Shoot it. Dude, I'm Small starting to get real cool. comfortable with that new site. Oh, yeah. You got the Tyler Archer site. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, that was it. Arxos. Oh man, that thing. It took me a second to get used to that single pin because I've always shot at least three pins, but now. I don't know if I go back to three because it would feel so jumbled. Yeah. Um, who, who who put up the? Uh, it might have been Dion that did it. They, they had the the perspective, the view through a peep side of the three three and five pin versus the single pin. Yeah. It was astounding. It was. I have trouble with that site that I have those five pins. Man, they just mess together. It's because my eyes are old and crappy and nuts. But yeah, it happens. I don't think we have anything else to note, man. This this interview, this is going to be a long one. This was freaking awesome. Um, start to finish. Start to finish. It was a ton of fun, man. We just packed it in. Every single person up there was entertaining. So so give this a listen. Uh, thanks everyone for participating. Yeah. You can find us on Instagram d dot o two dot podcast. Go wild is o two podcast. Paul Campbell on Go Wild. Uh, our website. The02podcast.com. Got anything? Hit us up, man. Send us some ideas or whatever, and we will we will get get after it. So, uh, yeah, look forward to a great week and take care, everybody. Musher in the Marsh. Uh, we've been talking about this for months on our show, Andrew. Great event hosted by the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, so we are here with uh, Director Mary Merch, Director of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, and, and Ryan Cal Callahan from, from Meat Eater. So thank you both for, for, your, for your time today. Director Merch, 150 years. ODNR celebrating anniversary this year. So, so and you look about. great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Nobody yeah. can believe that, but no. you're pulling it off. So talk, talk about talk about just the the history of, of the ODNR and and just the relationship that that the agency has had with with partners like BHA and and the you know the, the relationship with hunters and anglers uh, and folks that out enjoy the outdoors here here in the state. You went the full 150 years. Give Does me let's let's do <laughs> let's do the last like five months. Well, but but let me start with you know 150 years ago it was the Ohio Fish Commission, and it was a couple of employees and they made a thousand bucks a month, and it was a very very modest very but very important you know landmark time. Uh, to, to begin that. And so it began as the Ohio Fish Commission and eventually became the Division of Wildlife Today. I mean, an incredible 
an incredible arc of people understanding and respecting conservation. And there are some amazing professionals and scientists that run that division, that lead that division, and they've accomplished so much. Um, You know, they are the heart of what the whole department does is conservation. And so that division leads in it. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of what they've accomplished. We have, in the last few years, you said, you know, bring us up to today. Just in the last few years, we've, we've acquired so much more public land. I mean, Ohio is not Montana. Uh, we, we don't have a third of the state that's public land. It's a tiny percentage, but we have a strategy, and we're trying to execute it all the time. To um, I think a third of your state probably has more water than my whole state, though. That, so. Well, and water is an important part of our conservation um, plan, right? You know, clean, clean water. And, and I know we've worked with BHA and some others on the clean water part of our conservation. I mean, we, we lead with that, and that's where... Um, we have focused the biggest part of our resources. So when you when you look at our budget over the last five years, our biggest increases have specifically been in water conservation and the H2 Ohio program, which you two probably have heard a little bit about, but, um, you know, it really took off this year. So, so we started, you know, with some good money, but, I mean, just our agency has put over $100 million into water quality, and, and our approach to it should be really popular with all our partners out there because it's about building wetlands. And so we think wetlands and national infrastructure are the best way to clean that water up. And, and we're going crazy with it. I hope you've seen some of the results out there. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've got like 140 projects in the works right now. And the legislature just gave us another uh, $80 million, I think, to do more of this work over the next two years. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. Why? Uh, why are wetlands your solution? So, so we really have a multi-agency answer to this. So our Department of Agriculture is working with farmers to, to do what they need to do. Our Ohio EPA, they're, you know, they're involved in the hard infrastructure, home sewage treatment systems, you know, um, wastewater treatment systems. But our piece, I mean, we want to do wetlands because, A, I've got the science that it's really effective and, and B, all the other benefits, right? So we're cleaning the water, especially that we, you know, we, we start with the water flowing into Lake Erie, right? That's what we need to clean. But, but now we're in the Ohio River Valley too. And so, you know, not only does it clean the water, we get the wildlife habitat. We get the carbon sinks. We get uh, the recreational value. So, so not all, but many of these wetlands are open to the public. So I, awesome. it's like, it's a win, 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 win. Yeah, you 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 just mentioned Lake Erie. I mean, that's been a that's been a sore subject for a lot of people in the state. And there's been a ton of effort and just focus and energy that has gone into to cleaning up the water going into Lake Erie. And I think it's been fairly successful. I know just in our lifetime, uh, I mean, you know that that water has changed dramatically, and that's that's a testament to the to the work of the the state of Ohio and and, and all of the volunteers and the people behind it and the agencies you know, partners that have, that have, yeah. have really pushed that. So, I mean, I think you're seeing that with the walleye numbers. I mean, it seems like, you know, the hatches are up and people are happy. So. The hatch is great. Um, so I went walleye fishing Thursday. I did not, I only got three, so I will admit I didn't live it out. But um, it was a great day on the water and people caught a lot of fish. But the problem is not fixed, right? We got a long way to go to to fix those harmful algae blooms. So, What's the status of it this year? Is it pretty under control? I, I I grew up on the lake, so that was always something that was right in the newspaper headlines all the time. But I haven't heard as much about it this year. So the NOAA prediction was for a small bloom, 
And then two weeks after they made that prediction, they said, oh, now we're seeing the earliest presence of it. So it's there now. If if you're out in the western Lake Erie Basin and you go to the right parts of the bay, you're going to see it. So, you know, it's going to be 10, 15 years before we really wrap our hands around it, I think, and make the difference that we need. But... You know, we just got to keep keep moving at it. And, and the example we've got, I don't know if you've ever been to Grand Lake St. Mary's. Yep. It's one of the largest lakes in Ohio. And, and there, we've been doing this for years now. So we have the data. We have the science. We have these really beautiful, great wetlands. And, and we're measuring the water going in and the water coming out. So we know it works. We just need to do it at a scale that is going to make the difference. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about public land here in Ohio. And, and, and you yeah. mentioned, you know, just out west i mean is, is ohio hunters we get kind of jealous of some of the the properties that the you know the folks in you know the western states get to hunt so i we're right around what five percent of the land here uh is is publicly owned so and i, and I know just recently there's been a lot of acquisitions of, of new properties bringing in uh some big chunks uh into into the public uh access world so what, what's the plan going forward for your continued access and, and, and buying public lands yeah so you know, a couple of years ago, we closed the transaction to buy Appalachian Hills Wildlife Area. So between that and the park, we've got over 60,000 acres in eastern Ohio. That was huge. That, I think that is the single biggest investment the state has ever made. I mean, it was tens of millions of dollars. Um, I'm, really, I'm really proud we pulled that off. That, that took a while. It took a lot of faith. Um, took a lot of investment, a lot of support from the governor. If he hadn't run that through, we wouldn't have been able to do it. But, um, frankly, I'd, I'd like to do a lot more. And that requires the support of the General Assembly, which, you know, always has questions about public land, and that's fair. And I, we need to be able to answer them. But um, we have a strategy. We have a list of properties. <laughs> we, have, <laughs> we want to do a whole lot more. I mean, you know, there's a couple ways to do it. The safest way, the most assured way for, for for you all is if, if we own it, we know it's safe, we know it's protected, we know we can invest in it. The second best way is through easements and those those sorts of agreements. So we're going to do that too. Um, but but yeah, I, I, you know we, we have a, a list of things we want to do. The the budget that we just got included money specifically for acquiring property along uh, waterways. So our scenic waterways, we're going to try to do some riparian corridor acquisitions, um, more public access, more hunting access along that entire way. So um, we we have a long list. I'd like to double what we've already done. And um, I I know the governor's supportive of it. You know, to get there, though, we and and everybody, all of our partners need to work to, to show our General Assembly and the general public why it's really important. So we're investing... We're investing in a few things that might not be traditional. So we're putting money into um, renovating the Putin Bay fish hatchery. It's a historic fish hatchery. A ton of people go there. And some might say, why are you renovating that instead of buying property? Because we have to capture people's imagination. They have to be excited about it. And they need to tell their, their members in the General Assembly, we believe in this. We want you to do this. We see why it's important. So we're doing that. Out at Appalachian Hills, we're going to build a visitor center. Because there are people that aren't as experienced as, as everybody in BHA, right? And, and they don't know what to do. They want to go to the visitor center and have somebody show them what to do. And we want to we do that. So, so we have to have people recognize, appreciate, understand 
and and tell our legislature to support these efforts to expand our public lands. Yeah. So we're trying to do that. Yeah. What do you think the biggest challenge for the department is moving forward in the next five to ten years? So I think it will continue to be to protect Ohio's waters. Okay. Whether it's Lake Erie, the Ohio River, or everything in between, I think that's the biggest challenge. Um, I think, uh, you know, we just greeted our some of our officers over here. And, you know, law enforcement is a, a tough business right now. And I can't tell you how much respect and support I have for the men and women who, who do that for the agency. And so the ability to recruit and keep those people is very, very important to me. Um, and then figuring out how to do these these property acquisitions because, you know, so some people might stand in the way. They don't right. think that's the right thing to do. And we need to help them understand that where we're acquiring and why we're acquiring makes sense. The the OLAP program, I think this is, what, the third year? I, I use it regularly. It's something that, that I think a lot of people uh, are, are starting to see. I, I, are you seeing a lot of engagement with that from the landowners or more properties being added or more hunters uh, using using that system to access private lands? Absolutely. Um, I think the main criticism we get is there's not enough of it, right? right. So the, the people who use it are, are really happy. They're, they're great. And then other people are like, wait a minute. I thought I was going to, you know, there, there just aren't enough opportunities. So, um, but the, the folks in wildlife are out there every day knocking on doors, trying to convince more landowners to be engaged. And any help with that is very much appreciated because we have the resources to do it. It's convincing the landowners. Um, but on the user side, it's just... Uh, people discovering there aren't as many opportunities as they thought. So, so yeah, it's it's popular. It's out there. We need to do more of it. Well, people need to understand that uh, you got to start somewhere too. So, right. oftentimes in those programs, landowners are the best advocate for other landowners. Right. Right. And so, obviously, that takes a lot of um, effort and buy-in from the people who are using those lands too to make sure that those landowners have good experiences. Right. Because they're the ones that are really going to spread the word, uh, you know, at church that Sunday, at the feed store, um, where these, uh, you know, good old old fashioned social overlaps happen. Because um, people are going to say, "Hey, how is that program working? Don't you like, uh, or don't you hate all those cars out there? Or all all the things, right?" So there's a lot of responsibility on behalf of the user, um, in conjunction with the state to keep those programs going. doesn't matter where, where they are, Kansas, Weehaw, or uh, Montana, uh, block management. It's, uh, What's Weehaw? Would be the walk-in uh, oh, hunting okay. access. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Which is another private land public Still access early. program. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's cool about Ohio that I had no idea about is uh, you have, is it three uh, federally designated wild and scenic rivers? Um, or is it two? I don't think I could say that off the top of my head, but oh, yeah. I, well, I passed. I we passed have 15 one. Fifteen so, yeah. state designated scenic rivers. Uh, the federal. I don't know if I could. I could list that off the top of my head, but yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, few things are better than a river for for public access, right? So, yeah. and and you know, we want more state scenic rivers and. Um, getting landowner agreement to do that has been a challenge for us, right? There's some, some misinformation out there that once you become a state scenic river, uh, the private property owners along it are really limited in what they can do, and that's that's not the truth. Um, it's really just when the, the government is building bridges and doing things that, that we have 
the ability to control that a little better and protect the river. So, so we've been sort of at a, a, a pause point with our scenic river program in Ohio while we try to change some laws and, and help some understanding of the program. But, you know, I'd like to have five more. Right. So I'm a plant person, and I, can you touch on invasive species management? Because I know that's a hot topic. Like Indian Lake has some issues out there that they've been dealing with. and I mean, Thank we were, you for bringing up Indian Lake. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, but we were out turkey hunting this spring, and I'm seeing this Japanese, Japanese knotweed like, yeah. everywhere, and I'm like, ooh, this isn't good. Like, there's just, there's, it's yeah. such a challenge. We're such against them, invasive species. Yeah. We're not for them. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, so, so two different things, because part of the problem in Indian Lake is native species. So it's a mixed bag. So, so those who haven't been to Indian Lake, um, for the past couple of years, it's been covered with a, a mat of vegetation. And you take your boat out, and in five minutes, you're stuck, and you have to, un- you know, you have to clean everything off the prop. It, it's been very difficult to use. Not because there's anything wrong at the lake. It's just, um, you know, nature. Na- yeah. Nature has done this. But we have um, aggressively fixed that. And there are many legislators who are interested in it. And they're constantly sending me texts and photos of everything they see. But they give us good marks for this year. You can get out on Indian Lake. 90% of it is vegetation-free. And you can run your jet ski, run your, your fishing boat. Um, so we're good there. Well, so, I don't think it should be the goal of the state to make things jet ski friendly <laughs> you know we can limit some recreation right we can, I mean, <laughs> we, we, we can, can. be angler more specific right? um, you should meet the jet skiers from, from <laughs> Lake. I'm all happy to introduce you so i mean you know we want people to recreate right so our our agency you know conservation is our heart but it, you know it runs the range from natural areas and preserves that well some of those places we don't want people in at all um, some of them that are open for educational and, um, you know, to take a walk and learn about the flora and fauna, you know, to, to our wildlife areas, to, to our parks where, where, you know, we want to make recreation available. But, um, yeah, yeah. So we, we try to strike the balance, but invasive species, you know, as a whole, we are best at our nature preserves, right? We hire contractors, we have staff, we have volunteers, we are... We are on it. They are not perfect, but we're pretty assertive in those areas, you know, less so. Um, you know, mistakes were made in the past. I, w- I, was, I was looking at a, an old conservation magazine back from the 50s, and I don't know if you, you remember the name Louis Bromfield, right? The, he, he, uh, the Department of Ag building is named after Louis Bromfield. Yes. So Louis Bromfield was an author and movie producer. He lived at Malabar Farm, if you've ever been there. Um, and he was known for his innovative agricultural techniques. He was also on the Wildlife Council back in the 50s. And I was reading an article he wrote about uh, the, the value of multiflora rose. We need to plant it everywhere because it doesn't spread, it doesn't expand. And he was advocating, you know, hedgerows of it everywhere as, as the way to go. And, you know, X number of years later, we discover that's, that's a, one of our, our worst invasive species. Whoops. So. We can't get to it everywhere. There's so much of it, but um, there's certainly a focus on it. So staff, people, chemicals, if we have to, you know, up on Lake Erie, the Phragmites is, is our biggest challenge. And educating the private landowners that also harbor those terrorists on their property, right? Yeah. So. 
Absolutely. They might not even realize it. Yeah. Director Mertz, I want to thank you for your time today, and thank yeah. you for your service to the, the hunters and anglers and, and recreators here uh, in, in the state of Ohio. Um, I've, I, all Every interaction I've ever had with an ODNR employee has been fantastic. It really is a, an elite group of people. Um, and, and I think a lot of us are proud. We should be proud of. Yes, of, of absolutely. The work that's done. I'm so proud thank, of them. There's some yeah. terrific ones here today. So are, I hope folks yeah. get a chance to talk to them. Yeah, it's been great. So thank you, thank you so much. Um, I, I the, the last question I have for you uh, is is talk about the importance of organizations like BHA and the volunteers and the work that the the BHA volunteers have done and and, and are doing and will do uh, in the state of Ohio. Yeah, so so absolutely. So when you talk about invasive species, that's one of the most important areas where the volunteer groups can make a difference. Um, you know, a, a lot of what we do is is based on our partners, right? It's well, first of all, it's a it's a voice. Like we want to hear. You know, that's why we have so many people here today. We want to hear what you're worried about, what you're concerned about, what you like, what you don't like. You know, we're an, we're an open door. So so that is one service that BHA and our other partners bring to us. We want to hear it. Um, the volunteer work is incredible because, you know, we don't have that many employees. We could never do it all. And, um, you know, the volunteer hours and effort and passion is, is really key. Um, another thing we do with a, a lot of our partners are our projects. I mean, the H Ohio program, um, and I don't know that we've done one with BHA yet, but but many of our partners are these nonprofit groups because I don't think many people would disagree that sometimes it takes the government a little longer to do things than the private you sector. Heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes that's the case. So we have sought to run that program through partners you know so so d you know ducks unlimited the nature conservancy um land conservancies we'd love to work with an outfit like you know bha to 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 do these projects and we give the grants and they run them because they can get them done faster and better you know and they live around them and they care about them so that's that's what we want to do so um yeah, I Get mean, involved. absolutely invaluable, and we appreciate it. And, and I want to say thank you to all the BHA members here today for, for supporting the department. And uh, I really su- appreciate the support during the budget. You know, we had a, a rocky budget year for a lot of reasons, not relating to the agency performance, um, relating to controversies over oil and gas, and, and it was tough. And, and your members showed up to testify, to write letters, and, and I have no doubt that made the difference to restore our budget so we can continue to do good things. Yeah, outstanding. Awesome. Director Mertz, thank you so yes, much. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Let Dad get all set up there, all right? There we go. Testing, testing. Yeah, you're in. Good. Can we mic the dog? What's the dog's name, Kevin? Wings and Thangs. Wings and Thangs. Wings and Thangs or Thangs? Thangs. Thangs. Okay, I just want to make sure I was pronouncing that. Speaking of pronouncing things, um, Cal, I'm gonna. You and I have a couple things in common. Yep. Uh, one, we both look great with mustaches. I've grown the beard out too. We don't have any butts. No butts. Mm-hmm. You talked about that mm-hmm. last night. Yep. Uh, and, and three, where we, is this we conversation both going? Mispronounce the name that this event is the, of the town of, the, of this event. And so we, I pronounce it Conant on our podcast. Uh-huh. We had a couple people reach out. Do you want to take a stab at on on your Instagram? post the other day. You pronounce it Conneaut. Do you want to take a stab at the correct pronunciation of this town? It's Conneaut. Conneaut. I had no yep. idea. But let's be honest, that pronunciation has changed over the years, right? Oh, for I sure. I mean, it's very French. 
So um, I think, uh, you know, we're just changing with the times. We are. Yeah. yeah. And all, the, all these stick-in-the-mud Conneaut people <laughs> need to uh, get, get with the changes, you know. Canute is what I'm going with. Can, I, you know what? That's <laughs> it. I like that. Get those shirts made. We'll sell them tonight. So, uh, so we're, we're here with, with Cal from Cal's Week in Review, a meat eater crew, and Kevin Murphy, Small Game Nation, and your dog, Wings and Things. This is this is uh, this is quite the crew here. Months. I we've we've uh, not had a dog on the show for no, uh, not so. intentionally. That's yeah. Uh, so 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 Cal, I want to talk. I want to talk about your involvement with with backcountry hunters and anglers. Yeah. Um, so, you, so you were on the national board, and, and you talked last night at, at the conservation dinner about just kind of how you, you got into, into hunting. It, at what point in your journey as, as a hunter and an angler did, did you start to say, okay, there's more behind just being a hunter. There's more behind just buying stuff and, and, and buying a license. When did, when did conservation and, and, and that work really grab a hold of you? Oh, boy. I, you know, first, we've got to say it's uh... – a North American board, right? Because we have uh, chapters in Canada yeah. and the Yukon, which is super cool. Um, and, you know, my story is not unique, and it's kind of an unfortunate one because it takes hunters and anglers. Uh, in order for hunters and anglers to get active, which we all need to be, it takes a direct threat, right? So I came out of the working in the Frank Church wilderness, um, Got sucked into a BHA meeting, I mean, purely because of the free beer. <laughs> and, you know, I'm hearing about this, like, crazy idea that we shouldn't have public land that's being, you know, was being pushed. Um, How long at, ago was that? Sorry. Well, I mean, it's not like it's over, right? right. So um, it really uh, but that came on strong, like, during the Reagan administration, okay, okay. which uh, I was around. I just, you know, wasn't real uh, uh, talkative at that point. Um, and then, uh, we had this big resurgence there about 2011 ish, um, 2010, 2011 of, uh, this like idea of like the sagebrush rebellion of like divesting federally managed lands to the States and the States can, um, use them as they see fit. Right. right. Which would include having the ability to sell them. Um, and if you look at the amount of state lands every state has had, uh, what they started with versus what they have now, there's a real clear track record of uh, getting in financial troubles and, and selling those lands off. So um, you can have a lot of bones to pick with the, the federal system of land management, but it's... Uh, Thank you, Kevin. It's Kevin very warm out here. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's you know it's by far and away publicly accessible. So um, that was a, a, you know just like a shock to my system. And at that time, you know BHA was very small. We had a lot of uh, folks that were older and had a you know a lifetime of use perspective and i was one of the few folks that had um and was in the middle of uh a guiding career on public lands so that's the very first outfit i started guiding for was on public lands the outfits that i was guiding uh with at that point were on public lands and i just never saw anyone who came out to uh, our wilderness operation or our BLM operation um, 
and left with like uh, you know this stuff it's not worth anything right everybody was like a changed human leaving that place so that's that's really what got me fired up on that and when um i started working full-time with first light it was you know very clear that there needed to be more people in the outdoor space more manufacturers in the outdoor space actually speaking publicly about this stuff versus uh at that point in time it was truly it was common for all these companies that do it right now to kind of cut checks and support behind the scenes but nobody was saying you know we as a company stand for this and if you hunt you should be aware of this because there was this idea that there just wasn't enough of the pie to go around um, and I had lots of serious talks with uh, folks from big legacy companies that were like literally scared of what we were doing as this little tiny company out of Idaho talking about public lands. Hmm. And they're like, oh, my God, you guys are going to alienate who knows how much of the hunting world. And that's the complete opposite happened, right? Like we had no money for marketing at all. Everything we did went into Merino wool. And uh, people resonated with this so much, and it was truly such a part of our brand, right? It was like we made clothing so we could hunt in, in the West and be more comfortable. Right. And all of that was on public land, like the whole creation story of it. So it was a very perfect threat at the perfect time. And, um, yeah, not uh, we were all so busy at the company, nobody... Uh, uh, really cared what I was doing at that point, so I got to kind of establish it and and run with it before uh, there were any checks and balances in place. It's amazing, Kevin. Small small game nation. Talk talk about talk about what what that is for for folks listening that might not know. Well, that's a little uh, deal that I started to concentrate on uh, small game hunting. So much emphasis anymore is on big game. One and done, one shot, trophy size, whatever. So uh, I grew up, my dad You never uh, pick up a squirrel and go, man, look at that thing. That is a trophy squirrel. I like small squirrels. I like to eat them. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's how I judge. The smaller, the better. But uh, (laughs) uh, it's just becoming a lost art. You know, when when I grew up hunting, that was like a, a, a rite of manhood to go squirrel hunting on your own, you know, uh, third Saturday in uh, August, traditional uh, opening day of squirrel season. So you better have your spot. You better get there early. You know, when I grew up, I'll be 64 in um, September. So it has just changed dramatically where uh, these two people would get ramped up, gun sighted in, shotgun shells, Limited equipment, you know, they might have a shotgun, a rifle, a nail carrier, a, a squirrel carrying pen, um, you know, a laundry pen. If you were really, really into squirrel hunting and you had one of these, you were, that was your main piece of equipment. Okay. So create a squirrel on here and carry it with you. But... Uh, you it's know, a it's a giant it's a giant pen. gold safety pen. Yeah, yeah, laundry pen. Uh, what is it? A laundry pen. A laundry so pen. they would put 
uh, if he had uniforms from a certain entity or whatever, that's got number seven, lucky number seven. So <clears throat> that way they could track your laundry uh, on that. But anyway, I saw when I, when I started hunting, uh, very limited deer, uh, hardly any turkeys, one, one area of turkeys, and uh, lots of small game, lots of dogs, you know, that were out there. So um, I just saw, well... People would ask me. I would go places. Uh, I did my first BHA event in 2018, and people would come up say, hey, can you teach me squirrel hunting, you know, or can you take me squirrel hunting? And, you know, a lot of people expect you could just learn it like in one trip, which we all know you can't do that. But I would try to help them, give them tips or whatever, and then I just decided that uh, I would do a, a little thing, uh, concentrate on small game, and then um, I started traveling around the world hunting small game you know i went to the sci convention back in um uh february at nashville it was really really hard to find a small game hunt at the sci convention <laughs> but i met some people that they kind of did some stuff off their, on their own so maybe i get to go to the yucatan and hunt and apaca so it's like the sixth largest rodent in the world with some dogs in the jungle. So I'm kind of looking at possibly doing that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenge into hunting small game. I went to Sweden and Norway, hunted a mountain hare over there. Uh, hunting is very different over there. It's more of a ritual. It's not about killing. It's a process of, of community, cutting together, getting your dogs. It's a one-dog rule over there. You can only have one dog loose at a time. So that makes it very difficult in training a young dog. So you've got to bring a pup up where he knows how to do everything on his own. So that, that takes more time to do that. But uh, like I said, I just saw a need for someone that would kind of concentrate on, on small game hunting, how to where to go, how to do it, how to cook it, and all the fun and the people that you can meet. Uh, all over the world. I mean, we're all the same wherever we go. You know, we love our dogs, and we love to be outside. We love to hunt, and uh, we love to protect our our spaces. So, no. that and that's another thing that I've seen that here in the U.S. we don't realize what we have. When you go to another country, such as Nicaragua, the government owns everything down there. Um, gun ownership is very limited. Um, Costa Rica, they do no hunting whatsoever there. Um, Mongolia, it's wide open as far as hunting goes until there's concessions and things. If you go into the big game, but the small game, they don't care about. You can pretty much do what you want to over there. It took me like 14 days to find the only squirrel hunter in Mongolia, but I found <laughs> But um, that's, So that's just crazy to me because you're from Kentucky, right? Yes. I mean, do you ever think you'd be out in Mongolia hunting small squirrels someday? I think squirrels in Mongolia. That's it's something I didn't know was like, possible. Never ever, you know, what I thought, and like I said, I started traveling. I grew up as a kid where uh, the locals went to Canada, walleye fishing. That was the big trip. They went out west, um, pheasant hunting. Some went. Uh, You're like, hold my beer while I go uh, to Mongolia. Like, I'll take you guys out. <laughs> but, you know, I never had the, my dad, he wasn't a big traveler. He doesn't care about, you know, really hunting just local that was all that was on his list. And so uh, when I got the ability to be older to go on, on trips, and I started taking trips. And then 
when I really got the ability to go on trips, I started really taking trips. Yeah. So, and that's what I look forward to. Um, you know, is going somewhere. I love hunting in Kentucky. I love hunting in the states. But while I'm still fit, traveling's is is difficult. Traveling with a gun is even more difficult. So um, I'm going to try to see as much of the world as I can and see the people and the community of, of hunters. Yeah, you, you've, you've you've both brought up threats to to what we love, right? You know, threat threats to to, to public land access and and Kevin, I, I feel like a a dog hunter. And, and trappers probably have like the most negative attacks all the time on social media. I mean, people really, for whatever reason, hone in on on houndsmen uh, and, and and what you guys do. Um, and even a lot of hunters do that. And I, I've never underst- I've never understood that. And, and we had we talked to Chris Powell. I don't know if you know him, uh, houndsman XP, and 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 he really kind of broke down like the culture of houndsmen and dog hunting and and why it's important to. You know, kind of the, you know the hunting culture that, that we have in the in this country. So, you know, why is why is it so important to you? You know, running running game with dogs and just the we're talking know, about you. Yeah. Oh yeah, we are talking about you, wings and things. Um, you know, it's in my DNA. You know, just I'm a dog guy, and to be able to have a dog to go out and do what that dog was made for. You know, this country. America was conquered with dogs. We don't realize that, but, you know, 30,000 years ago, the paleo people that came across the Bering Straits, and they brought dogs with them, you know. Dogs are probably just like a novelty in the beginning, um, maybe some spirit animal that came into camp. Clean things uh, up. So, uh, you, you know, they've been a big part of history coming in. At first, they were just part of them then. We got a grip on the dogs and domesticated them and started to turn them into different uses. And a lot of dogs now are not being used for for the, their intention. They're a tool. You know, our first domesticated animal is the dog. And like I said, I just love hunting with a dog. It's not for everybody. You know, I've got to take care of this dog 365 year, days a year to maybe they'd go hunting 60 days. Uh, there's not any birds in Kentucky anymore. So really... A, there's no places for me to hunt there. I've got to travel with her. I'm going to try to make her uh, multi-purpose where I can squirrel hunt with her, rabbit hunt. Uh, she chased uh, d- uh, black-tailed jackrabbits in New Mexico this year and then uh, chased them for a while and then went in and immediately pointed a covey of desert quail and just locked up tight. So you can do different things with dogs that people don't realize. And a lot of our old farm dogs were that way. They were multi-purpose. They, they guarded the homestead. They help herded the stock, whether it be cattle, pigs, or whatever. And then they took them hunting during the daytime and then took them hunting at night and uh, provided uh, entertainment for the children. And, uh, you know, they're a very big part of our society um, as far as hunting, and we do not need to lose that, that heritage. You know, it's, it's not for everybody. Um, they are warriors. They get hurt sometimes, but... Um, they are doing what they were made to do is hunt and and provide a service to us and we take care of them and try to to bring that generation on where we have better dogs and more dogs and then people that are worthy of having a hunting dog they can have have a good quality dog whether it's wings as a dropper she's two breeds german shorehead pointer uh english pointer uh excellent hunting dog but far as in the breeding world Nobody would really want her because they can't say her parents went back to here. There's two two crossbred 
in there, which usually makes the best species a lot of times. Yeah. On our show, I'm really good at derailing Paul's like path. So I, you mentioned entertainment for kids. Now, how could you derail all just what I said? Yeah, because <laughs> I'm just going to go. <laughs> okay, but uh, and you mentioned the entertainment for the kids uh, and the family. I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. My kids have two favorite shows with me within Meat Eater. Okay, the one is when my son starts calling everybody Bobby Django. Okay, <laughs> after your squirrel dog, and the other one is when um, Cal, when you guys ran into that bear. I think it was in Alberta, or the BC somewhere BC, out there. BC, yeah. They always want to watch the bear episode. So Bobby Django and the bear episode. Um, so you guys are also entertaining the kids of of the next generation, which is important in this bigger discussion of. Keeping things, you know, lands public and continuing to educate and keep people interested. You know, had we had a couple of camp dogs, that probably wouldn't have happened in BC. So, exactly. So, dive, dive into that because I've exactly. not seen that episode. The, oh. the, the bear episode. You know, I'd, when I, I went I up to scout it. that area, I had my dog with me just just a couple of days before that. Really? So yeah, we had a, a sow grizz. Um, very good mom. Three three cubs come uh, running into. We hadn't set up camp yet, but um, yeah, it was it was very close, and and she uh, was trying to root out the interlopers in her area, um, and you know, uh, grizzly bear is a very serious predator of other grizzly bears. So in those zones, um, they they get very territorial and especially in the fall they get into this uh hyperphagia mode as they're trying to put on a ton of calories as the season's starting to come to an end and they know they have to store up that fat for um the the hibernation period right so you can see some really aggressive behavior and and that's definitely what we saw so yeah hard charging i have one like just kind of a goofy question we had Giannis on and and i have this like this idea that you guys at Meat Eater just get in a room and you come up with the craziest ideas about what to hunt or what to chase. And is, is like, is, is uncle Steve at the table? Like, nope, nope, nope. And you know, hunting monkeys with knives. Yes. Let's do that. Like, so how, how, how does that process? I mean, cause you guys go after stuff that I didn't even know that, I mean, hunting squirrels in Mongolia. I mean, that, that's amazing. Like, how's that process when you're, when you're working through, like, the shows that you want to... Well, you know, you it used to be much more open and similar to what you're talking about, but <laughs> all it takes is one time for Steve to be like, that is really cool. I am going to go do that. <laughs> so and then you're like, I'm not going to tell you any more ideas. <laughs> yep. He gets all the fun stuff, so... Uh, Bigger yeah, budget, you know. <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah. Some, some leisure time there. So let's let's talk about uh, and we, we've got a lot of BHA folks that I want that I want to get up here, volunteers, and that's the heart and soul of this organization is, is the, the volunteers and the, and the members. Um, talk about why it's important for you know the, the, the modern sportsman and, and woman to to be members of conservation organizations, uh, and, and and what conservation looks like in, in you know twenty twenty three and, and going forward. Uh. Well, just like this little snapshot in time that we're all involved in right now, there's a million things. As many things that you can think of positively in regards to hunting and fishing, there's that many things out there that uh, don't care about that at all, and they see a totally different use for that landscape that you're out recreating on. So um, being tied in with an organization, and you know, obviously we want you and need you to become a member, um, but you don't have to be, you can sign up for the newsletters, uh, for every organization. And I always tell people like 
find those organizations that you do not align with and get their newsletter too. Um, that information, the way that they see the issue is very educational. Like it lets you see the other side of like, Oh, this is like the keystone, uh, action point around this river that I just like to fish on, but you see it as a different sort of opportunity. Right. And that's like where we're grinding and butting heads. So it allows you to become a better advocate for your uh, chunk of stream or your bridge access or whatever it is. Um, so, uh, education is a huge part of it. Uh, the other part of it is a community, right? You can be like, oh, okay, I'm not the crazy person that everybody on my block thinks I am because I get up at 3.30 in the morning and I'm banging decoys around and I have a super crappy old boat that I'm uh, hitching up and nobody knows what I do, right? Um, so you, you find a bunch of like-minded individuals. BHA is very, very blessed because we have some really good diversity. Um, very young crowd, certainly compared to a lot of the other organizations out there. So that brings in a lot of new perspectives, new ideas. Uh, when we talk about these things like uh, invasive species, certainly on um, noxious weed fronts, stuff like that, um, people are the biggest vector for invasive species. We bring in the animals, we bring in the plants. Um, being able to uh, come to a place like uh, Muster in the Marsh or Rendezvous and get some crash courses on what those species are, how they travel, what we can do about them, like absolutely comes in handy. Especially if you ever go knock on like a landowner's door and say, hey, uh, a deer jumped the fence and I got to go in there or I want to go in there or... Uh, can I get permission to turkey hunt or cross through here or whatever the case may be? Um, you can be like, oh, and by the way, all this stuff over here, I can take care of that for you too. And, you know, so it's good ways to kind of build those, those bridges and, and keep that tent expanding, keep that community expanding. Because one, one thing that I've learned, uh, whether it's, you know, testifying at the state house in Montana or Idaho, or going to D.C., uh, or just sitting around, you know, the truck station coffee shop waiting for a storm to pass. People who spend time in the outdoors generally have the same idea. They just like to talk about them and hear about them in their own words. And so do our state representatives and, and Congress people too. Like, we can have the same thought, but you better come at it using their words or else it, they think you're on the opposite side of things. Cause we're all, you know, in this day and age kind of geared up for a fight. Um, so spending time, diverse group of crowd, uh, or diverse group of people, you're going to pick up on those perspectives. You're going to be able to formulate, uh, a better story, a better argument as to how and why these things matter to you. Uh, and that's at the end of the day, what we need to be doing is telling these stories ineffective ways that say hey you know this place matters because of this and i take my family there and i take my kids there and i have family coming in from out of state so we can go there and and you put that value out there clear and simple for uh elected officials or a game commission uh, but that's the way this stuff's going to stick around and and when you get in a community like this you come up with better ideas on how to cook and share that game and all that stuff makes big ripple effects, right? So, like, I live in Bozeman, Montana. I always call it Bozangeles these days because it's just, like, an exploding 
crazy uh, rate of growth for my home state, and it's like hard to like throw a rock in town and hit somebody who was actually born in Montana at this point. Feels like right. Um, so we are diluting this pool. It's not like everybody in Montana was a hunter prior to this, but everywhere you went, people would be like, oh, well, I don't hunt, but I get elk from this person. I get deer from this person. Um, and that pool's kind of diluting. And so the sharing of game, and especially uh, with some instructions on how to cook that stuff, how to properly store it, um, best ways to serve it, things like that, uh, keep people connected to hunting, even if they're not physically going out and collecting that game, right? Um, and that's a always has been a huge part of humanity, uh, and we need to need to keep that going, right? So this idea of uh, meat just magically appearing is, you know, something that a lot of people need, but we just can't let them think that that's the source of meat, right? There's this whole other thing out there, and by the way, that's what supports the wild water and the wild woods. Um, and if we start removing people from that system, that other interest side of things, it's going to say, well, nobody uses it. Nobody goes out there. I only saw one boat out there. Um, obviously, it's underutilized, and the best utilization is for, you know, who knows, a bunch of condos or something. Jet skis. Jet skis. Jet skis. <laughs> yeah. A whole pack Cal, of jet skis. Cal didn't, you don't know the hate that you've opened up. Oh, I do. It's from, a fun topic. It's like making ski. fun of people's bird dogs, right? <laughs> like, um, I don't do it because I'm dead set against, um, you know, like a, a Visla, which to me is, you know, a cute dog for um, people's couches. Uh, Shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh goodness. No, would, would you guys mind real quick if we if, if anyone do a quick Q and A session? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Is, does anyone have a question for Cal or uh, or Kevin? You'd like to come up? It's got to be someone. Renee? Anyone? Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to edit this out. No one's, no one's we covered it all. We did. We did. Yeah. Somebody. Oh, very, very good. Here we go. So the so the the question is how 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 can someone get into running beagle dogs? What I would do, I would look whatever area that you're where you live and find out locally who's got dogs. Do some talking around, see who's got the best dogs, <laughs> and uh, try to make friends with them. Ask them if you can go hunting with them, and uh, just start knocking on doors of people that have beagle hounds. Uh, there should be a club. There may be a field trial or whatever, and then decide, well, do you want to hang out with the field trial guys or do you want to go with the hunters? So it's kind of a, a different, two different bands there. One is more on dogs. The other one is more on being outside and harvesting game. So that's what I would do is look in your local area and, you know, go to the greasy spoons, whatever. If you see a dog box, just go up, you know, and start talking to them. Find out what kind of dog they have because if they've got a, a hound dog, bird dog, whatever, they probably know somebody that has a beagle. So that's that's the way I would I would approach. Good question. Yeah, Good answer. What was your name? Leo. Leo. Thanks for the question, Leo. Anyone else? And I've got uh, six beagle puppies at home too. So <laughs> yeah, shameless plug there, Kevin. 
Did you have a question? You look like you got excited there for a You have something. I think all uh, – so the question was, we, you know, we have Meat Eater Trivia hosted by Spencer Newharth. And uh, this is coming up more and more often is why did my uh, submitted question for trivia not get picked to be read on trivia? Um, and I think it's because uh, Spencer's not reading his emails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody I talk to is like, I know he didn't read my email because if he had, he would have picked it. So come on, Spencer. Actually, really, I Paul and I were talking about this on the dried up derailing again. The question about the glass versus the plastic bottles breaking down. That was mind boggling to me. It yeah. took me a while to get that my head wrapped around that. Yeah. So. yeah. I'd like to get you guys I get blessed to talk to y'all more than I probably should, but I'd like to get you guys' opinion on where we're at with hunter efficiency. You know, some of our weapon systems are getting even better and even better and even better and even better. And I just helped an old buddy of mine set up his new compound boat and find myself walking out the back door with my trad boat. The, the question was on, on hunter efficiency and, 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 and hunters and anglers and, and, and the equipment side that have made Sorry. us more efficient at killing. Yeah, technology. Yeah. The, the arms race. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic topic. I mean, it's like uh, many, many podcast series type of topic, right? So um, an example, like in Idaho that just came up, is there's been a very, very small group of people who want to use lighted knocks uh, when fishing game sends out their survey uh, it doesn't come up as like a top thing that people want um, but the state legislature came in and uh, made it legal from a state law perspective to use lighted knocks right and that's just like a little teeny tiny bit of technology um, so there's something like that or there is like the archery site that uh, automatically ranges the game and uh, you know adjusts for holdover. As is there's the the rifle scope that automatically ra- ranges the game and adjusts for holdover all within your scope, and you don't have to do anything. Um, I just just uh, checked out the Swarovski version of that the other day, which is wild. Um, uh, there's uh, you know, super fancy muzzleloader seasons or super super fancy muzzleloaders that have been built specifically for um, short-range weapons uh, seasons that were initially put in place because muzzleloaders weren't that effective in collecting game. And so you see, like, the arms race crank up to make it very effective in taking game during these short-range short weapon seasons. Um and to Colonel Mike's point, who asked that question, there is always a lot of ways of looking at this thing. It's like if you are super efficient at collecting game, you aren't in the woods that long, in theory, which means your imprint on that area 
is a lot less, that your imprint on the rest of that herd is a lot less, and it could therefore provide more opportunity for other people who hit that same patch of woods. Um, from a population perspective, the more efficient things get, quote unquote, easier uh, weapons are to use to take game. It allows more people to use them and have a greater impact at a population level on that pa uh, patch of woods. Um, I see technological regulation change as, uh, you know, this crazy attempt to regulate ethics in people. And, you know, it's one of the odd things in the hunting world. Like, there's not that many poachers, in my belief, that actually have a hunting license. So we're not convincing them to be a part of the community anyway. Right. And they're out there doing their thing. So how do we regulate those people? Just as the super frustrated person with their muzzleloader during the short-range weapon season who takes that Hail Mary shot that they shouldn't be taking because they can't hit the pie plate at 100 yards anyway. Uh, but it's the last day of the season, so they're going to fling that ball out there and say something horrible like, if there's lead in there, there's hope, right? Um, whereas in my belief and upbringing, it's like, unless you know that thing is going to die when you pull the trigger, you don't pull the trigger. Um, so... Yeah, when we see these regulations change, I think it's it, we're trying to regulate ethics, which is impossible. Uh, and it really what we need to do is find a way to invest in hunter's education and, and probably make it mandatory amongst states, right? So like Montana right now, um, huge debate been going on for two and a half years of how much money we should put into the hunter education system. And my personal belief is zero because we don't require it at all in theory we require hunter safety for residents and non-residents but you can bypass the entire system by filling out an affidavit that says you have an active hunting license in another state so if you're whatever years old your dad mom can fill out a hunter safety form in texas or new mexico at you know eight nine years old for that child and click the affidavit button online in montana bypass our entire hunter education system um i don't think that's the way to go unless you have a home schooling structure for the outdoors that is far superior to uh, anything else that kid's going to get in front of online right so um it's regulating ethics long spiel there but, Regulating ethics. That's the yeah, big I, conversation. Just, yeah, it's in. Yeah. And I love making things harder on myself. <laughs> like, I. On X is like an uh, unbelievable tool. Unbelievable tool. And I'm always like, well, I don't want my phone to run out of batteries. <laughs> you know, and I never look at my <laughs> I look at my phone on these big long hunts. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I think Mike said it, right? He's like, well, I find myself now making things harder. So he's been through the learning curve, right? Like I used to go out and blast gophers, uh, massacre gophers all day long as a kid. And I have no interest in that now. Um, so we do go through these these 
changes, right? Um, and sometimes it's great to go out there and just beat the hell out of the walleye because you have had this dry stretch of just like not being able to figure them out. Um, but there is nothing worse than being on a boat or being on the ice with a bunch of people that you're supposed to be out there fishing with and having a good time with. And they just are locked into a screen all day watching fish on TV. So, um, it's a, it's a moderation thing, but, um, I agree. Like technology is scary for me. So gentlemen, thank you so much for, for your support of BHA and your support of this event. And, uh, everything that you guys do entertaining as hell i've appreciated this conversation thank you guys thank you yeah so we've we've got uh we're 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 back again here mustard the marsh we've got uh john fabian cover bridge outfitters and 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 colonel mike abel kentucky bha um i want to start this off and obviously this is a podcast so you know most people are listening to it there are some people here uh watching us now john you might have the best hair in this entire <laughs> my man, appreciate I mean, you have like you you put in some effort on that, right? It's a lot of steelhead slime. Is that what it is? Fresh fresh air, son. Yeah, that's you know. the secret. Yeah, hydration, brother. Um, sorry, how about that? Actually, yeah, just a little more right there. Here we go. Uh, I was like, spot. wow, Paul, you're getting sorry. real close. No, to I've changed his hair now. It's the hair, dude. Yeah, it's, it's the, the, it's the hair. So, um, <laughs> John, what what? So you you work here at, at, at Covered Bridge Outfitters? What's what's your role here? And this place is beautiful, man. I mean, I. What a place to hold an event. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. We, uh, we're we super excited to have the event and BHA and so many great people here. Um, this is a project and a baby of mine started a year ago just with a focus on providing the best outdoor experiences possible for people. Um, and as a, a whole, we have a an outlook on conservation and property management and land management and wildlife, you know, propagation of turkey ground and whitetail ground and in our area specifically it is suffering a little bit you know we've got we've got people that are phasing out of agriculture and cutting their timber down and you know we find ourselves in a position to hopefully change that and and keep moving forward with it because ashabula county is a it's a sleeper it's a stud in here for for it is a stud you guys are the turkey killing capital of ohio if you look at the yeah, we're number one county in the state this every year. year. Yeah. It's been like that for decades. Paul reminds me of that every spring. You know, so <laughs> I I want to say, and for for people that have listened to the show, I, I try to bring up turkey hunting every You've episode. Been quiet so far. I haven't said a word about it. Three other people have mentioned it, so I'm going to keep. I'm not going to talk about it. So, um, Colonel Mike, Kentucky native, still live there. Yeah, um, what part? actually born and raised in Maryland. Okay, uh, and I married a lovely young lady from Kentucky about 26 years ago, and. I tell everybody that's how Kentucky improves the gene pool. Um, <laughs> they got all these beautiful women, and they suck us in from everywhere. Oh, but, that's uh, funny. Yeah, we got married when I was a young infantry officer, and, and uh, we decided to retire. Her place, not mine. Okay. So. Very good. Uh, you know, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Your hair is pretty pretty dang good, too. Yeah, for, 50, for 52, hey, bro. Thanks for your yeah. service, by the way. Yeah, yeah thank uh, you. Thank we're, yeah, I'm we're really proud of that for my age, man. That's, that's impressive. And it's someone that's bald, I get jealous of, of good hair, like, pretty easily. So. You Apparently. Right. So, uh, Mike, talk about your role within within the Kentucky BHA. A volunteer? Are you on mm-hmm. the board? What, what, what's, what's your role down there? Yeah, so um, I started off uh, – with a couple of really good friends that are actually here uh, to found the chapter uh, a couple years ago. And it was a collaborative effort. Um, and uh, 
you know, you, you got to get it started somehow. And we got our charter uh, in uh, 2019, and we started working towards, you know, um, doing the mission of BHA in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Uh, and it's so easy to do at BHA compared to every other conservation organization I've been in. Um, they, you know, your chapter coordinator helps you get it set up. You get the board set up. You get your bylaws. Boom, you're you're operating. Um, and I started off as the the vice chair. Uh, we put together a really good team. And uh, this past year, during our annual meeting, um, we had decided to make a change. And and I I wanted to step down from the actual leadership role and be the event coordinator to run th- things like this. We were just talking offline um, because we've got to generate membership and revenue like any other hook and bullet organization and for the first three years of in kentucky man all we did was habitat projects and that brought the membership you know we'd be out on the landscape cleaning something up or doing a hack and squirt on invasives or building wood duck boxes and hanging them and everybody loved that but we didn't have a nickel in the bank and and thank god we had partnerships with other organizations in kentucky and conservation and we would like for our biggest event we clean up the peabody wildlife management area which is about thirty-three thousand acres we get like 50, 60 volunteers filling a construction dumpster, you Jeez. know. And first year we filled two construction dumpsters. And uh, that cost us 700 bucks for the construction dumpsters. Well, we had to get another organization to pay for that. Well, now we're making our own money. We've got trap shoot. We've got a film fest. We're doing some things in addition to all those cleanups and, and all the habitat work. So, um, And I'm having a lot of fun putting on events. So I'm actually watching, you know, it's kind of looking at how this is running, you know, and, and talking to West Virginia about us maybe picking something like this up in a year or two. Yeah, good good deal. So, John, when um, when when BHA, when they approached you guys to have this event, I mean, was it – I mean, you, I, I'm sure you were, you were on board with, with that from the get-go, right? I mean, these, these pretty solid group up here. Yeah, for sure. It was actually my introduction to the group, um, which I think leads into Colonel Mike's comment about this. It's, it's about people knowing what's happening. You know, and I, as a lifelong outdoorsman and someone who spends every day of their life outside, I wasn't really aware of BHA or what they did or their their goals. And uh, after some conversations, it was a no brainer. It was like, let's go, let's let's utilize this space. It's a it's a wonderful space. People need to see it. Um, Exposure is great. You know, people can't fix a problem they don't know exists. So you know, we're all on board. Yeah, whatever we could do to help, man. I mean, I think it's between the land and the water and every you know the property we have and other properties are around we could do events you know this this was a concept for me to see the this many people here i think it's flowing great everyone seems to be enjoying themselves i mean i'm tickled to death you know it's it's awesome um but we have to get people aware of what's going on what problems need to be fixed what needs to be talked about you know now are you on board with cal's idea to change the name of your town (laughs) Cano, Uh We're selling church later tonight. Yeah, no, he's got to deal with the he's got to deal with the, the locals on that one, man. It, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm staying this far away from him for go. sure. I, I gave him the proper pronunciation. So. There you go. Now, John, where where can people find um, Covered Bridge Outfitters on on social media? Yeah, so we're we're um, our handles are at Covered Bridge Outfitters website cbolodge.com. Um, we've got a phone number on there. Give us a call. You know, you talk to one of the staff members or myself. You help you build whatever prod, whatever package you want, chase any game you want. Uh, we do hosted travel. We're a year-round organization, um, fishing for everything that swims. And, and just like I said, we're trying to put people in the best possible position to enjoy their time outside, you know, and that's what 
outfitters and guides do. It's not a contest. It's not about who shoots more or catches more. It's about helping people take that next step, get outside. And when you have a great customer base and a great following of people, you know, it's, it's easy to do. And, you, and it's easy to make people more proficient anglers and hunters when they want to learn. Yeah, definitely. Now, Colonel Mike, you know, we're, we're an Ohio-based show, but we have a pretty strong contingent of Kentucky listeners, uh, a lot of support from, from our state down south. Uh, what's, what's next on the outreach? What's next on the events for, for the Kentucky uh, BHA chapters? So we got a lot going on right now this time of year. This is our big time of year because our hunting season starts in September. We got a lot of dedicated bow hunters in the state um, and some really outstanding bow hunting organizations. So we don't really get excited about Public Lands Month. We start hunting. So Public Lands Month for us is August. Okay. Uh, we, we're cleaning up two different uh, uh, waterways. This month, we got a uh, next Saturday, we have a native plant walk, which is in uh, uh, a collaborative effort with another organization. So that's a class, really. Um, we got a hack and squirt coming up. Uh, we're going to build wood duck boxes again. And Peabody, our, our kind of our showcase event, which I already mentioned, is always the second, the second week in August. But we had something to do with you guys, and we need to talk to, before we leave, Jameson needs to get us together because we've got a, a serious trophy catfish issue going on on the ohio river yeah. and um you know we in kentucky um our uh department of fish and wildlife resources allows for the taking of trophy catfish as a rough fish a commercial fish and the trophy side of the house um we actually issue 15 permits for 15 commercial anglers and they can take four fish in the trophy class which i think for a flathead is 35 inches and for a blues 48 inches they can take four a day so 60 trophy fish a day and they're putting them in pay lakes, pay lakes yeah they're selling them to pay lakes mm. and that the fish is dying um, we like to call it a prostitution of the resource because basically you're taking a public resource you're selling it to a private entity and they're doing tournaments they're gambling on it you know um, they actually sell chances they used to do it with a tag fish they take a five pound catfish in the lake tag it yeah. Same tournament. Well, now it, they're making a lot more money off somebody catching, you know, a 35-pound fish that's 20 years old. Um, and we just had our meeting in Kentucky, uh, and we at Kentucky BHA made a really – I was really proud of my board because sometimes it's hard to get the board to agree on language. We, we made a really lucid statement, uh, and the president of the American Catfish Association actually flew up from Florida. They're doing tournaments just as big as, you know, Bassmasters now for catfish, and, and we need to – do one of two things we need to call it a game fish um or we probably need to do something under the commerce law where we just don't allow them to transport trophy catfish you can't transport a trophy catfish if it's alive and that just ends the pay lake deal right you know if you catch them and you want to harvest them and you want to put it into the the fish house and you want to put it on somebody's plate which probably shouldn't because of the amount of mercury in a trophy catfish but anyway we got to work together um some need to get with indiana and ohio and uh and illinois bha and and talk about that and and share the message that we took to our fishing game commission and, and see if in some way shape or form we can't have like a, a three or four state um, collaboration to yeah coalition to yeah collaboration coalition to, to come out and say look we support you know the taking of trophy catfish you know w- within limits by commercial fishermen for sure you know but we'd really like you to throw them back you know the guy that just caught the tennessee uh, state record, they the biologists jokingly said it was the same fish. 
because okay. um, he caught it two years in a row near the same spot. It looked like the same fish. It was like four pounds heavier, but he set the state record twice. You know what I mean? Let's let everybody use the resource and, you know, but that's our next fight, and uh, and we're going to hopefully get you guys' help with it. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Well, gentlemen, thanks for your time. Thanks for your support of, uh, of BHA. Appreciate you. What a yeah, place, man. Time. John, thank you. Colonel thank Mike, you thank you for your right, service. Man. Thanks, guys. Sure. Oops, sorry, Wings. <laughs> come on, big fella. Get in here. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry, wings. oh, Wings, come here, girl. She's the... Oh, she's boy. the star of this. She Lucia, really you is. Your, your headphone. She's living her absolute best life this weekend. She she is, man. She run uh, around, around saying, Kevin, have you seen this place? There's dogs everywhere. This is awesome. Oh, so many friends. <laughs> what an event. <laughs> so many friends. Can you hear? Yeah. yeah. Man, you've got a good radio voice. Do I? We've had, yeah, we've had you on. Henry's on a two-timer now. He is mm-hmm. a two-timer. That's 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 special territory, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us. For, for two-time guests yeah, on the show. <laughs> Not that it's special, but, you know. In our world, it is. So, right. we've got, I'm trying to read Jameson's writing here. Tony Ruffins? Yeah. Tony Ruffing. 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 Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, now, and, and then and then Henry, uh, you guys know Henry. I, I'm a little disappointed. The last two guests had phenomenal hair. Uh, so and, I'm and bald. You, you slept in the jeans that you wore last I, night. Yeah, you I did. That. Do I need I to get my hat Henry, what have, you, what have you done? I have hair. I mean... All wings and things, trying to give you a little kiss. All right, so we'll give you some. We'll give you some some <laughs> some points for for wings and things here. So, uh, so let's let's talk about. So you guys are Ohio residents. Tony, talk about your involvement with uh, with BHA and why you got involved. Oh boy, uh, that goes back to about 2017. Um, a group of friends and I were actually were actually looking, uh, kind of trying to figure out. We wanted to start an organization, a conservation organization in the state of Ohio. Uh, but we didn't really know kind of, kind of where to go for that. Cause it, it, it was like every, you know, everything's covered. You got pheasants forever, ducks unlimited, whitetails unlimited, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, we looked at start, we, we were thinking about starting something for veterans, but none of us served and it just seemed really out of our wheelhouse to, to do something like that. And that was about the time Randy Nierberg was was getting really popular. Steve Ranello was starting his thing too, and uh, so we so we discovered BHA through there. And uh, a good friend of mine, I reached out to him. And I said, "Have you heard, have you heard about Country Hunters and Anglers?" He's like, "Yeah, I've been a member now for about a year or so." So I said, "Well, there's there's no chapter in Ohio, so let's you know let's see about starting that." And uh, it was September of 2017 we had our first pint night. Uh, the director of membership development at the time kind of reached out to me as we were preparing for it and he, he said how many people are you expecting i said well I, I said i'd love to have about 30 or 40 people show up and he's he's like man he's like honestly if you get five plus like that'll be that'll be phenomenal challenge well, we, accepted right? well yeah so we had our first pint night at uh, land grant brewing down in columbus and uh before we even got stuff set up, there's 15 people that are waiting for us. I think we had about 35 people show up that night. That's awesome. I got a hold of him, or got a hold of the uh, director of development again, and he said, that's phenomenal. I said, yeah, so we need to strike now. So um, we we got the chapter started in 2017. That November, we had our first membership call. We had about 15 people on. We formed a board from there. So, um, you know, I've had I've had people, you know, kind of say hey thanks thanks for starting this chapter and it's like yeah you know maybe i got the ball rolling and stuff but 
I've been I've been blessed exponentially with with uh, solid board members, and I actually stepped down as the state chair about a year ago. And, and Henry and our and our other co chair Dustin have just taken the wheel, just taken the ball, and run with it from there. I mean, we, and we've we've had a rock star um, rock star board of directors, you know, from from day one. And uh, we've got a lot of new blood on our board now, and uh, I think there's only one or two of us original guys left, and and which is fine, you know. That's that's how that's how things get moving and shaking. But uh, so yeah, we we uh, we got a phenomenal group of people and volunteers behind us, and, and and it's been great to you know see how things grow and evolve here in the last few years. Yeah, good deal, Tony or Henry. How long have you been? Involved with BJ. Well, I joined. It's kind of funny. I joined in 2017. I knew a little bit about BJ through like Mediator podcast and things like that. And the Mediator podcast came to Columbus, mm-hmm. and I got tickets to that with my buddy. Great live podcast. Uh, lots of beer to drink, so we were well lubricated. And at the <laughs> end of the show, everybody goes back out to the bar area and. There's a table set up to join BHA, and I always kind of had, like, in my mind, like, oh, that's, like, a Western hunting organization, like, but then I see Tony Ruffing standing behind the table. It was love at first sight. And I knew, (laughs) birds chirping, if that corn-fed-looking fella is in BHA, then it is definitely Midwest-driven. And I signed up on the spot, and that's about all i remember from that night i i am i am midwest as folk yeah, so good midwest uh looking specimen mm-hmm. right here so talk talk both of you talk you know, chime in talk, talk about the uh the events that bha holds across the state of ohio you've got cleanups down on way national you got some really neat you know pint nights that you talked about Tony. talk about some of the um the events that the, the, that the chapter holds uh here in the state and how people can be involved uh, yeah, so so the pint nights are great. Um, it's 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 mainly just a um, kind of a mini fundraiser for our chapters, but but it's really good for uh, you know membership growth because uh, we'll have you know in Ohio we've got you know we've got the big five cities we got Columbus, Cleveland, uh, Cincinnati, Toledo, um, and uh, you know down around Athens too. So we try you know we we try to spread out amongst the state as far as we can, but. Uh, you know, you had Cal up here earlier talking about, you know, we got to reach out to folks that, that aren't, you know, in our circle. And, and uh, pint nights are usually a really great way to do that uh, because we'll have them in those, in those more urban areas usually. And, uh, you know, they're all open to the public. We basically just show up at a brewery or a bar, set up our stuff, and, and just kind of go from there. But uh, uh, so, you know, you really you get a lot of interaction from folks that, that are – you know, unfamiliar, don't know what BHA is or who we are. And uh, so it, it's a great way to, you know, kind of that olive branch to reach out to people. But um, we've kind of taken a directive as a board, too, to, you know, focus on focus on more meaning, meaningful events as well, too. Like the pipe nights are fun. That's great. It's, it's a good time. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, our membership wants to know, okay, well, we're donating this money. You know, where, where's that going? So we, we try to focus our energies on – you know, Henry's led a number of tree plant, tree planting programs, yeah. and so one thing that can kind of relate today, what everybody's doing here, is the tickets you're buying today for the raffles, your T-shirts you're buying today, all that money goes back to BHA to do boots on the ground projects. Mm-hmm. So one 
one project we did this year is we, we teamed up with Wayne National Forest, so the U.S. Forest Service, another uh, nonprofit called Rural Action, and then another uh, private business that wanted to invest in a project as well. And it was a, a water quality project because there's a lot of water quality issues down in southeastern Ohio with all the uh, old strip mining that went on. So what Wayne National Forest needed help with was uh, it was actually um, erosion caused by illegal ATV use. So Wayne National picked out some targeted areas to help prevent the the illegal ATV use that's just tearing up the streams and and the hillsides and, and causing more water issues down there. And uh, so we we planted about a hundred trees just down this ATV trail in thick mud. It was it was a very messy but very rewarding uh, ordeal. And 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 we uh, as Ohio BHA we put five thousand dollars towards that project. So that's where if you step over and buy your raffle tickets today, you buy a T-shirt. That is what the money is going back to, is so that we can do projects to help our public lands and waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we do we do a lot of, uh, I'm at the State House a lot, we do a lot of lobbying efforts and stuff too. Um, you know, and, and the fact of it is to, to get budget bills, to get laws, to get, you know, regulations passed costs a lot of money. Um, so, you know, that the fundraising efforts that we have, oh, there goes the Cabela's tent. Uh, but the fundraising that we have for a lot of that stuff, you know, that it all goes back to that. You know, it kind of you, you gotta you gotta grease the wheels a little bit, if you will. But uh, so yeah, uh, you know, we 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 focus. We we just had a, a dock fishing dock access project that we that we uh, parted with, and uh, you know, so so we really try to we really try to do stuff, you know, kind of outside the box, and I think that's really helped us. As an organization, as a chapter, grow in a in a very unique way. Um, and if you look at eastern chapters of BHA, um, I mean that's this it's where the population of the country lives. So that's yeah. you know that's where you're seeing your fastest growth um, with within state chapters. Yeah. If if someone wants to get involved with with BHA, how how can they do that? How can they become a member? Oh, you don't want to do it. No. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, That's what know, we call fo- a softball, Tony. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was never much a good ball player. Uh, so yeah, go to go to our events. Um, you can follow us on social media. Um, it, you know, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, Ohio or OHBHA um, on Instagram. Um, give us a follow, and you know, we usually keep we we try to keep people up to date on what's going on there and, and what events we have coming up. Um, or you can go to our website. Or you can go to our website. Hunters, yep, backcountryhunters.org. Back yep. Um, and you know you can join. You can join from there. But you know if you kind of just want to check us out first before you know before you become a paying member, um, come to one of our events. Talk with one of us. I mean it's a it's a great place to meet people. And 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 that's that's the really interesting thing about this organization. I mean you meet you meet folks just all walks of life. Yeah. You know our original board. You know we we had I, I'm a, I work residential construction for a living. I run a, I run a construction company, but we had um, commercial airline pilots. We had horseshoe farriers. We've we've had you know uh, investors and and business people. I mean just just all kinds of you know walks of life. You know involved with the organization, and uh, you know if you look around here, the one thing you don't see a lot of is you know older 
white-haired, you know, gray-haired people. You know, we're a young organization, so we're, we may not have we may not have the money that uh, a lot of the older organizations, like you know, your Pheasants Forever Ducks Unlimited. What we do have is a is a youthful, energetic group that is excited about getting out and actually doing hands-on work. So I think that that really makes us unique as an organization in general. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you. So, like, this is probably the first real BHA event I've been to. But Paul and I were talking about last night. It's a unique group, like you were just saying. Mm-hmm. There's young, there are older, there's experts, there's people that are more into the hiking, more into the foraging, more mm-hmm. into the hunting. Like, it's such a unique group. For both of you, what does BHA mean to you? Well, for me, I mean, I I did uh, six years in the Marine Corps. Thank you. And, and when I got out, you know, I... I you're not really like you don't really notice it but you know like you're, you're kind of missing something that you need to like work for or fight for you, you you need a mission and i didn't really realize that's what i was looking for until i saw beautiful tony here standing behind that table at the in columbus but uh it's something <laughs> that you can go out and you can like do like uh hands-on projects boots on the ground projects we work hard and then we play hard and it's just fun. So if, if you're into going out, getting your hands dirty and then having, you know, a wild game barbecue or something or go to a brewery afterwards and, you know, just, just talk about, you know, everything that went on and, and meet new people, um, it, it kind of filled that void of something that, like, I need to have to work towards every day. And I didn't even realize, like, the whole mission thing until like i was at youth turkey camp with buddy kyle who's uh running the sound today um and i was telling him about like i i, I couldn't really figure out what that void was i was missing he's like oh yeah you're probably just looking for that mission right that veterans are looking for when they get out and i was like huh <laughs> well yeah yeah i guess that's it that's awesome so yeah it, it took me a while to realize that but um i'd probably be more armed forces initiative related if if they had existed when i joined but i mean we like teaming up with them now and helping them out and and we got a lot of veterans on the board too so we 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 definitely work together to help afi and and vice versa that's awesome well thank you thank you both henry for your service to this country and 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 both of you for your service to uh and your volunteerism for, for hunters and anglers in, in this state and, and, and beyond. I think it's a, it's a very important thing. Being a volunteer, that's a special, it takes a special person. And, and everyone that's here, uh, you know, I don't know how many people are still listening, but, but thank you for being here. If you, if you are here at this event, you understand what it takes to, to move the needle in the world of wildlife conservation. There's a lot of efforts, a lot mm-hmm. of moving parts, and it, and it takes three things from all of us, time, treasure, or talent. One of those three things or all three of those things from all of us. So, yeah. um, and, and, that's, and that's something that's very near and dear to my heart. It's, you know, if, if you are here, it's near and dear to your heart as well. So if you're, if you're not a member of BHA, consider becoming one if you are. You have lifetime memberships. They started a thousand dollars. Consider you know, looking into that option. All of that goes back into the mission that we're all here for. That's why we're here. We're here for the mission. So yeah, we start we, st- we start with yearly memberships at, at thirty five dollars, yeah. which is you know the the that's the it, it you know get you get your foot in the door. Um, but the, that's, the, that's the, not the, that's, that's that's like a quarter tank of gas. Right, yeah. like, right. And for that thirty five bucks, uh, you'll get a quarterly magazine subscription. You'll get on the email list, so you'll mm-hmm. get notifications of all of our events going on in your area. Yeah. Uh, you'll get 
notifications of any policy issues that might need uh, yep. people to contact their representatives on. And BHA does a great yep. job of spelling out what the issue is. And then they also will help the direct link straight to your representative based off your address. So yep. like you don't even have to th think about it. If you don't even know who your representative is, it, BHA will get you take, right to where all that for you. It needs to be. <clears throat> the last kind of the last thing I'll add, um, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in community, and part of being involved in in a community is is giving something back. Um, hunting is a huge part of my life. It's a uh, great part of my identity, and so being involved with an organization like BHA allows me that that um, avenue to to give back to something I care about so deeply, um, and I think something that you know kind of kind of hunters and anglers in a in general kind of rest on their laurels a lot is uh why well, buy a hunting license or i buy a fishing license so that's that's giving back to conservation and, and the day, the fact of the matter is the day and age that we live in now it's not that's not enough anymore um you you really need to whether you get involved with the organization or you know any other organization um you you, you need to get involved because because these things can go away uh, it's, it's, you know, before you even realize it, and, you know, we, we hear the death by a thousand cuts argument a lot. I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot to that. Um, but all it takes is, is uh, you know, the wrong person to, to provide the wrong piece of legislation, and, you know, we can find ourselves in a, in a, in a bad way pretty quick. Um, in Ohio right now, we are, we are extremely fortunate um, with, from, you know, administration top down, from, you know, Governor DeWine, He's done a phenomenal job. He's he definitely wants to leave a conservation legacy, and he's he's probably done more for uh, conservation in the state of Ohio than any other governor in a lifetime. You know, and then from down from her or down from him, we've got uh, Director Mertz, and we've got Chief Wecker. We have just this rock star team. Um, you know, within the division, uh, the Department of Natural Resources and the Division of Wildlife and all the other divisions that fall underneath the Department of Natural Resources. So, um, you know, it's 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 really time now. <clears throat> if if you have any interest at all, um, you know, reach out to us. Reach out to any other organization that you think you might you know you might run parallel with. Um, you know, depending on what it is to get you outdoors, um, and it's 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 vitally important that you that you. Uh, give something back to uh to to what you want to be involved in yeah absolutely tony last question who do you think would win in a wrestling match you or me uh well i got into a wrestling match with a bottle of wild turkey last night and i thought i won uh and then i woke well, up get him while he's down. Woke, woke up this morning and, and i uh realized that I, I probably did not win winner Tom. Um, yeah yeah well oh, that could be your name though the wild turkey oh <laughs> man <you're wrestling>. <laughs> <laughs> that time we got four o'clock all right uh, we'll get ready we, we raise some money we'll throw we'll, throw we'll, fight, we'll fight in this, this uh, yeah well <laughs> henry was supposed to set up a fight with cameron haynes and i and he, he kind of failed on that one so but it was going to be a big oh, charity henry, driver what, what cameron back down or what hey yeah he he he, he had a race to run or something <laughs> something <laughs> silly like that but good deal. Well, thanks, well, guys. Well, Jim and yeah, thank you so much. Man. Appreciate it. And everyone that's here that's been listening to us for the last 90 minutes, thanks for, uh, for hanging out with us. And, uh, yeah, it was good.